All right, uh, this is lesson 17, as I said. This is the period when Israel conquers the promised land. Uh, this is a gigantic book, the book of Joshua, which is really what we're going to be focusing on. So before we dive into a lot of the action here with the conquest, the military tactics, all this type of stuff, let's just do some introductory work about Joshua himself and the book of Joshua, because he is a very significant person, a very significant character in salvation history. I mean, in fact, a little Bible trivia just popped into my brain. Joshua is the first book of the Bible to be named after a person. So you can impress your friends at dinner with that one right there. But Joshua is a really important character. So let's look at him. And you can go to the Catholic Bible Dictionary, which I highly recommend for a lot more little uh, tidbits. Um, but for our purposes here, let's just begin with the notes. We He's from the tribe of Ephraim. So if you remember, Ephraim was the son of Joseph, the patriarch Joseph back in Genesis. So he is a descendant of the patriarch Joseph. And he is Moses' right-hand man and close confidant from the very beginning of the Exodus story. I mean, you could really see, if you look at Joshua, as he's popped up throughout the story, throughout the Pentateuch, uh, he's, it seems like he's being groomed for the position of Moses' successor all along. So he's got a very close connection with Moses from the beginning of this entire drama. So a couple of examples in your notes right here. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 17, you find that Joshua, is he, he ascends Mount Sinai with Moses. Now Moses, of course, goes to the top and receives instructions from God for the construction of the tabernacle. But Joshua is up there as well. That's, that's a, a pretty good opportunity for Joshua. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, you also find that Joshua is able to go into the tent of meeting with Moses, which is pretty dynamite. I mean, you, <laughs> what a special privilege for him to do that. Go up to the mountain with Moses and go into the tent of meeting with Moses. Uh, Moses actually picks him as his which is, of course, predictable, but picks him as his successor uh, through the, inner, the direction of God in Deuteronomy chapter 31. Uh, but you also see that he is a warrior. In Exodus 17, if you remember this story, the Israelites, after they leave Ex Egypt, they need to fight the Amalekites. And Moses is there on the top of the mountain, and he has his arms raised. And so long as he has his arms raised up in intercessory prayer, the Israelites are victorious, right? And then so he needs a couple of buddies to hold his his, his arms up so because they're getting so tired. Well, Joshua is down on the battlefield leading the Israelites in that battle. And that's a really important foreshadowing for what Joshua is going to do now in the conquest of the promised land. He's going to lead his people against his enemies. So he was a warrior. He was a faithful spy. If you remember, he was only one of two faithful spies that Moses sent into the promised land to spy it out. There were 12. This is in Numbers chapter 12, so it's easy to remember. There are 12 spies. Ten of them lead a mutiny, and they, they appoint a, a captain to lead the Israelites back to Egypt. And they try to stone Joshua and Caleb, and by extension, presumably Moses and Aaron. It's just a, a disaster, that story. Well, Joshua was faithful with Caleb, and incidentally, don't forget that Joshua and Caleb were the only two individuals from the first generation, from those who left Egypt to enter into the promised land. That's that's mind-blowing. Only two out of the two to three million people enter into the promised land. 
In Numbers chapter 13, verse 16, we find a name change. And name changes are very, very important in Scripture. If you remember, you got Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. You have Jacob to Israel. Well, here Moses changes his name from Hosea, which means salvation, to Yeshua or Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. So remember, name changes signify a particular a person's mission and, and destiny, if you want to call it that, what their vocation by God. And so for, for our purposes here, Yeshua, Joshua, means the Lord is salvation. And that's going to be very important for the people to understand that God is their salvation. God will deliver their enemies into their hand, bring them into the promised land, and give them rest so they can have that communal covenantal relationship with God. Now, incidentally, Yeshua is the same name in Hebrew for Jesus. It's a little confusing in, in, our, in our English language because Jesus and Joshua are two distinct names. Well, we, we technically get the name Jesus from the he excuse me, from the Greek Jesus. But in Hebrew, Yeshua is Joshua. So Jesus' name is really Joshua. You could call him Joshua, aka Jesus, or vice versa. Um, and that's really going to be really important for typology, which I will sum up for you at the end of this lecture. All right. And then uh, finally, letter E here in the notes, just these these big points. Moses passes on his authority to Joshua in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, with the imposition of his hands. And that's very significant because here in the period of the new covenant, you know, bishop lays his hands on the a man's head, a new priest. He's ordained to the priesthood. And you can so you can see here in Deuteronomy 34 a foreshadowing, a type of the priesthood, where Moses passes this on to Joshua, just like a priest is ordained to the priesthood through the imposition of the hands. So if you go to an ordination of priests and you see that bishop lay his hands on the priest's head, you can think back, of course, to Moses and Joshua in this great story here. So a lot happens with Joshua before he gets to this point, you know, when, when Moses dies here and he becomes the, the new leader. He's totally being groomed for this position. Okay, so now the book of Joshua, like I said, that little trivia, it's the first book of the Bible to be named after a person. And this is significant because we're in a new stage, I guess you could call it, of the, of the scriptures. Uh, the Jewish people broke down their Hebrew scriptures into three main categories, and they have a really cool little acronym. Uh, it's called Tanakh. It's the Tanakh. If you go to buy a Hebrew scriptures volume in the, wherever, the bookstore, Amazon, whatever, you, wherever you buy your books, uh, you might find it's the Tanakh version. And the acronym, it takes the T, the N, and the K and puts little vowels of, with the A there. There's T, the N, and the K, Tanakh, and it stands for these three main categories of the scriptures. The Torah is the was what this T stands for. And those that's the law, the instruction of Moses all the way through Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy. We just completed that with our last lesson, looked at the whole period of salvation history from Adam all the way through Moses. That's the Torah. Now with Joshua, we're in the Nevi'im, which means the prophets, and that includes the historical books as well. The historical books, which are from Joshua here, all the way through through 2 Maccabees. So Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuels, the Kings, the Chronicles, etc., etc., right? Ezra, Nehemiah. Those are the historical books, but the Jews called them the former prophets because the role of prophecy was very strong. You have Samuel and Nathan and Gad and Elijah and Elisha and all these prophets, 
as well in the historical books. So the Nevi'im included historical books as well as the prophets, which we know of like Isaiah and Jeremiah and these, these dudes who have their, their own books. That's what the N stands for. So there's T, there's N, then there's the K, which stands for the Ketuvim, which are the writings. That's the wisdom literature of the Jewish people, like the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and these types of things, Sirach. So you've got the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, the Tanakh, T, N, and K. So here with Joshua, as I said, it's the first of the historical books so it's a very, very important time in salvation history because it's this hinge or this bridge between the Pentateuch, uh, which is Genesis through Deuteronomy, and the rest of Israel's salvation that runs through 2 Maccabees. But I don't want you to look at it as a clean break. Deuteronomy's boom, done, there's the end of the Exodus, and now we're into the historical period. Obviously, it's all history, it's all salvation history, and in a particular way, Joshua has a large overlap because as I'm going to explain to you in a variety of different ways, he's a new Moses. He's being depicted in so many ways as a new Moses who completes the mission of the Exodus. Really with the death of Moses in Deuteronomy 34 and the close of the Pentateuch, the, uh, the drama, the story of the Exodus is not yet complete because they haven't taken the promised land. God hasn't given them the promised land yet. So Joshua completes that mission, right? So if you remember Moses, when he, when he died in, 30, in chapter 34 of Deuteronomy, he died because, if you think back to Numbers chapter 20, he disobeyed God. He said, God said to him, speak to the rock, and the rock will lead, uh, yield forth its water. But Moses didn't do that for a variety of reasons. He struck the rock twice, and his punishment was that he wouldn't be able to enter the land. So Joshua steps into his sandals, <laughs> so to speak, to continue that mission right, to bring the people into the land of their fathers. And so with the conquest of the promised land, with this mission of the Exodus being completed under the leadership of Joshua, God is going to fulfill the first of the three promises that he made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. I want to reread this for you uh, because we're beginning to see these three promises being fulfilled uh, in, in the course of salvation history. So if you think back way when we were looking at Genesis in this course, in chapter 12, verse 1, it said, The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you one, a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make of you two, a great name, so that you will be a blessing, and then I will bless those who bless you, and he who curses you I will curse, and then three, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. So these are the, this is the threefold promise, and then later, of course, it's the threefold oath of a great nation, a great name, and worldwide blessing. Well, now, at this period of salvation history, the promise, the oath of a great nation is being fulfilled through Moses and Joshua. It's not enough to say it's just through Moses, because it's Joshua who completes the mission and brings the people into the land. So, I think I told you before, I'm, I'm sure of it, <laughs> back in, cha in Genesis chapter 12, those three promises really become the plot points or signal markers, if you want to call them, for the rest of salvation history. And that's exactly what we're seeing being fulfilled now. And the second promise, that of a great name, of kings that will come from Abraham, we're going to see that through David and Solomon. And then we're going to see worldwide blessing through Jesus Christ right? So it's all coming together. Like it's all a masterful journey of history. It's, it's God's history, right? It's salvation history.
Okay, so when we look at the book of Joshua, you need to understand that not in the, in the conquest of the promised land, not all of the battles are going to be narrated here. Okay, only the main points and events that really highlight to the establishment of God's people in the land are going to be narrated here. So it's a theological and a spiritual history, but it's true history. It absolutely, these are events that actually happened and the miracles did actually happen for reasons that I'll tell you in a moment. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of, it's kind of front loaded. In fact, that's a perfect segue into this next point in your notes here with the structure of the book of Joshua. The conquest of the promised land takes place in three stages. And the conquest is really front loaded in the, in the first number of chapters. So the people enter into Canaan and destroy the, the, the strongholds, beginning with Jericho, right, in chapters 1 through 8. And in fact, in this lesson, we're going to spend most of our time in chapters 1 through 8, giving you the highlights. And then you've got the southern campaign in a couple of chapters, the northern campaign in a couple more chapters. Um, and it's, it's this pretty fast pace, but a lot of the main details happen at the beginning with Jericho and then really quickly a little story of Ai. I'll share that with you uh, later on. And then the second main portion is the division of the land amongst all the tribes. They get their inheritance finally, except for Levi, right? Levi belongs to the Lord. Um, that's typically the part that most people skip over. You, you begin to nod off a little bit when Joshua's there, just uh, just dividing up the land and handing it out to the various tribes. Uh, but it is significant, and it explains the maps that you're going to find here and there of the the inhabitants or the Israelites and where they dwell. And then finally, the last two chapters here is Joshua's farewell speeches before he dies. 